Phil. Hey, Laurie. And welcome to Super Bailey Rose Season 2, Episode 8. So good to have you with us. We've got another great show coming up. Very film-heavy, but it's all good. We've got lots of interesting things to say. None more so than our brand new horror correspondent, Benedict Seal. Yes, a very nice guest to have on the show. And actually, is he really a guest now? Is he part of the Super Bailey Bros team? He sort of is, isn't he? He's uh, he's a roving correspondent because Phil and I are not big horror fans, so we asked him to come along and review those films. You know, we let's not do this here because we do a big intro for him, don't we? Of course. We do, we do. Uh, but that's coming up, so that's something to look forward what to. What are the films, Phil? I've gone to see Manchester by the Sea, Casey Affleck, is much touted sort of Oscar performance. Yeah, lots of awards buzz. Interesting film. I'm looking forward to talking about that one. You've gone to see Jackie, I believe. Yes, that was out on Friday. Uh, Tour de force from Natalie Portman as Jackie Kennedy, or what's it, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, I think she was at the end of her life, yeah. And then Benedict, he's reviewing bi- the, the Bye Bye Man. The Bye Bye Man. Very scary, The Bye Bye Man. Yes. And you've also gone to see... Live By Night. Ben Affleck wrote, directed and starred in sort of a gangster epic with Sienna Miller as well isn't it she's in it yeah (laughs) that's right yeah she's in the film yeah and we're not going to put any other segments in this week because we've got those four to do and you know we've got a bit of fun chatting to Benedict but we will have your emails and tweets as always we might put them in this episode a little bit earlier in fact uh, to space out some of the reviews so listen out for your correspondence there and thank you very much for getting in touch Yes, if you want to get involved in the conversation as well, you can email us at superbabybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbabybros. Also, I think we should say a thank you to the Patreon supporters. Thank you very much to those who have decided to support this podcast. If you would like to support us as well, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash superbabybros. Yeah, really do check that out. Uh, Genuinely, every little helps and you can be supporting us for as little as something like a cup of coffee a month. And is that all we've got to say in this little intro? Well, since we ditched the time machine thing, Phil, I was really listening to some of that the other day what a strange period that was I kind of am it wistful for it actually it's not my idea it. though <laughs> I miss it personally I miss it I enjoyed going off to little different places each week <laughs> uh, but yeah no, let's get on with the podcast and I need to apologise I'm a bit sickly I don't know if you could I, it probably picks up on the microphone doesn't it yeah I'm sure it does <laughs> I sound like Muttley <laughs> oh nasty Sorry. that's not even on purpose <laughs> oh dear <laughs> listen to that I'm really sorry. That is awful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you, man. Let's go. Phil, are you a fan of biopics? Yeah, very much so, yeah. Really? What would you say your favourite is? Too many to choose from. I think it, it depends on what sort of mood you're in and all sorts of things like that. What, what, pick one off the top of your head. Can't be a documentary. I mean, Walk the Line is a biopic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely. And I think that's a brilliant one. Okay. And would that be your hope for a film called Jackie about Jackie Kennedy? I mean, that's a different question. Do you want me to answer as if I'm going along with what you're saying? Because I already know what Jackie's like. <laughs> yeah, go on, go on. I, I don't know. I think it's up to the filmmakers, isn't it? What do they think is pertinent? What do they think is useful? And what story do they want to tell? I thought you said you were going to go with me when I was asking that question. I'm trying to. <laughs> sorry. It's very difficult to pretend I, know, I don't I, know that this isn't really a biopic. I know. I'm sorry. Listeners, yeah, the reason I do that in a very pathetic sort of way is that I went into this film, Jackie, rushing in. I hadn't had time to catch up on the notes. I just dashed into a screening uh, and was not at all sure what to expect from it. I'd seen that it was getting some five-star attention. I'd seen people praising Natalie Portman. And overall, I thought, oh, it'll be one of those stories that gives you a little window into history, into an incredibly famous event. This is centering around the assassination of JFK and what that meant for his wife and the country immediately afterwards. And I thought it was going to be a little bit dry, um, a little bit interesting, intriguing details, blah, 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 blah. But quite distant. Oh, you just ruined my dramatic it. (laughs) It is nothing like that at all. I wouldn't describe this as a biopic. 
I would describe this as like, are you ready for this, Phil? It's a bit pretentious. It's like an impressionist painting. An incredibly oh, man. I was preparing myself for it. Stunning, it's still bad. <laughs> stunning, vivid portrait uh, that absolutely, completely and utterly blew me away. So there's a spoiler for the review. <laughs> Let's have a clip. Why not? Uh, this is directed by Pablo Larraín. I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's Chilean filmmaker. It's his first English language film. Written by Noah Oppenheim, who weirdly was the screenplay writer for The Maze Runner and Allegiant, as in the Divergent series. The all Young sudden, Adult series, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And all of a sudden, Jackie. <laughs> it's wow. intense movie. And here you have both their skills in action as Natalie Portman's Jackie chats to Max Castella's Jack Valenti, uh, who was a, a White House aide for John, the Johnsons when they moved into power, and a conversation regarding the funeral for John F. Kennedy. Here you go. I've come to discuss tomorrow. The Attorney General relayed to me your desire for a more modest ceremony. I've changed my mind. I'm sorry? I said I've changed my mind. We will have a procession, and I will walk to the cathedral with the casket. Well, even if we could resume the arrangements, I'm sure you can understand the Secret Service still has their concerns. I'm President Johnson. President Johnson would like nothing more than to fulfill your wishes, but I have to take into account his safety. The country couldn't endure another blow, should any... It's not to say... Uh, if it were up to him, he would do anything that might bring you comfort. And who is it up to, Mr. Valenti? Well, as I'm sure you know, tomorrow we're expecting close to a hundred heads of state. One hundred three. Yes, I'm sure that's right. And I suspect they'll make all their own decisions. Based on what? There's a great deal of classified intelligence that I just can't get into. Accepted a threat against General de Gaulle from our assets in Geneva. I'm afraid if he refuses to march, others may follow. I understand. As I said, Mrs. Kennedy, I wish there were more we could do to accommodate your wishes. I'm terribly sorry. Don't be. You and the Johnsons have already done so much. Good day, Mrs. Kennedy. Um, Mr. Valenti, would you mind getting a message to all our funeral guests when they land? Of course. Inform them that I will walk with Jack tomorrow, alone if necessary. And tell General de Gaulle that if he wishes to ride in an armored car or in a tank for that matter, I won't blame him. And I'm sure the tens of millions of people watching won't either. Why are you doing this, Mrs. Kennedy? Oh, I'm just doing my job. A voice, man, is bizarrely engaging, isn't it? Yeah, well, I'm glad you say that, yeah. And that that is it, listeners. Natalie Portman is so central to this film. She is obviously the lead character, but she's literally central in the screen almost all of the time. Her voice, her mannerisms, her face, her body language, everything. The camera is not quite in love with her, but it sticks to her like glue in such an uncomfortable way that every little twitch of the eyebrow uh, or the, the shape even of her lips as she's talking in that bizarre voice, everything is picked up so intensely. But I'm glad it came through to you when all you could do was hear the little audio clip there, Phil. Mm. I mean, I, I'm thinking, oh, Nancy Portman doing that voice. Does that get annoying during the film? This is one of the best things about it, because right at the very start, again, as I said, I knew it was Natalie Portman. I knew people were giving her attention, so I was on the lookout. And I could see the film starts, and there she is. And you think, oh, it's Natalie Portman. Oh, she looks a, a bit weirdly thin. Like, uh, some, and she's got the funny hair going on. This might not be that good. And then she starts talking, and you think, what kind of weird voice is this? And then within, I don't know, maybe two minutes, all that kind of odd feeling and all those misgivings completely melt away. 
Natalie Portman utterly disappears and you completely believe that you are seeing a real person. It's quite extraordinary, actually. I have seen a trailer for this film and I was really shocked because I had, I'd heard about this film, Jackie. I heard it's going to be about Jackie Kennedy. And like you said in the beginning, I thought it was going to be a standard sort of biopic where she starts with her childhood and then sort of progresses and she meets yeah, yeah, yeah. JFK and all that sort of stuff. And, and it'd be quite tame and quite pensive. And then I saw this trailer and it's so rich and vivid and the colours and visuals are so arresting. Is it almost an uncomfortable watch? Oh, totally. I mean, I wouldn't use the word searing lightly, but it is searing. It feels like abrasive. It feels rough. Like it literally scrapes you with the intensity of Natalie Portman's performance, but also the style of the filmmaking. It's in a very short window of time, so it is immediately following the assassination, basically. Uh, and it's a fictionalised interview that Jackie Kennedy has with a fictional journalist. He's just called the journalist. Billy Crudup turns up to the house that she's kind of in isolation in, secluded from all the media attention, and she gives him an account. Uh, and that that's loosely based on a real thing. A Theodore H. White, a famous political journalist, did interview Jackie Kennedy, but this isn't quite that. It's sort of based on it. And so the film doesn't ever really exceed this tiny little window in which people are dealing with the upheaval of losing a president. Jackie's dealing with the upheaval of losing her husband and the father of her children, all that kind of stuff. Like it's so narrow and it's so tight, the focus. Literally, and we were talking about this before, even the aspect ratio of the, the film is different. It's not in super wide and sort of heavily letterbox like that. It's quite close together so that there's more height to the frame, which really helps with the kind of White House interiors with their high ceilings. But it also gives a feeling of constriction the entire time. Like you're close, like you're narrow, like you're tight and you can't escape from Jackie Kennedy just in the same way that she can't escape from herself and the situation she's in. I can see that being... Yeah, is that clunky sort of... No, 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 no. <laughs> what, what I mean is, is that you kind of... If you lay it out, it could feel a little bit like a, a sort of a teenager filmmaker being like, oh, yeah, and she's trapped, you know, she's boxed in literally and, yeah. oh, yeah, and, oh, it's so... Be and, and it's a bit too obvious, but that's not the case? No, it doesn't feel obvious. That's what's so clever about it. I think this is amazingly intelligent direction from Pablo Larin, Larain, I sorry, I didn't know how to pronounce his name properly. Sounds like but, a pizza. <laughs> sorry, that's <laughs> not that. okay, sorry. And I, I know exactly what you mean, it has the potential to be like that, but everything is in such perfect balance. And, you know, there's kind of excuses for why the camera is like that as well, because one of the things that's remarkable about this film is the way that it's willing to blend actual historical dialogue and reality with their sort of fictionalised ideas of what was going on behind the scenes. So Jackie Kennedy famously did a tour of the White House. Are you aware of this, Phil? You probably are, Mr. American Studies. I actually wasn't aware of are this. Not? No. You can find it on YouTube. It's really worth doing that, possibly even before you see the film, because you get to see Jackie Kennedy, the real Jackie Kennedy, being on camera and showing her poise, her elegance, um, and this voice as well that is so unusual. And it was a brave decision. What they did is they get Natalie Portman to essentially restage those moments and you get to see in various different cuts the behind the scenes thing with the camera crew and her sort of uh, chief aide helping her out and feeding her lines but then it also cuts to a sort of grainy grey old 60s camera um, in the film itself with Natalie Portman in it so I think they do you know what I mean they sort of excuse the shape of the camera to make it feel as if it is of the period. That does sound all really interesting. I'm slightly nervous. If you didn't have that sort of historical 
background or information about Jackie, would that kind of get washed away and would, would the film kind of fall apart or do you need to have a little bit of knowledge about... No, no, I, this is what's so incredible about it, again, because I didn't know any of that going in. As I said, I went in blind, not intentionally, but that's just how it was. And I was just so transfixed, I spent the next few hours looking up this stuff on YouTube and wanting to find out more because it, you don't need that at all because the film is so tight in its focus. The film is utterly concerned with how on earth this person dealt with this situation and it, it confronts you sort of horribly with the various realities of what, what would happen. And it, it speculates in a non-melodramatic way about the impossibility and the uniqueness of this situation. Like it, It's not possible to really truly empathise with Jackie Kennedy because of what she went through. And I've never ha- felt it more strongly that someone had an, a totally unique and horrible experience that I just can't access. And it's a, it's a very, very clever skill because normally with a film like this, you want them to communicate to you so that you share their pain, right? That's kind of what you might look for and kind of understand it and communicate it. This film somehow manages to do both things at once because although you can see her pain... You can't possibly understand No, it, it constructs an iron cast barrier between you and Jackie, even though you can't get away from her. So that it's just brilliant. I, I, I really think it's, it's almost alchemical, magical, the construction of this film. It's, it's just stunning. And the score is phenomenal. Have you heard of Micah Levi? Or no, Levy? I haven't, no. She did the score for Under the Skin. She's a British composer. That's the Scarlett Johansson film, isn't it? Yeah, sci-fi one where she sort of absorbs Taxi people. Taxi Driver, sort of very bizarre, yeah. Yeah, not a very nice film. I wasn't such a fan of that, actually. And she specialises in sort of sweeping, creepy, modernist scores. Vistas. Um, this is, well, I suppose you can call them that. Her score for this is amazing. I thought it was Johnny Greenwood to begin with, and that was the first clue I had that this film was not at all what I was expecting. And it is so artfully restrained in the orchestration and the composition. I think it's my favourite score in years and years and years. I thought it was just stunning. Wow, this is this is. Is this heading towards a very high grade indeed? I think so. I feel like I've been very sort of emotional and not very specific about things. If you want, it's bananas the kind of film it is. In terms of its structure... It's an impressionist painting. Well, exactly. And that's how I felt. She chats to this journalist, Billy Crudup, who is excellent, by the way. Billy Crudup is excellent. I'm sad that we haven't seen him that much recently. Billy Crudup was Dr. Manhattan in uh, Watchmen, right? Yeah, he was. And he was in Vanity Fair as well. But he was more known sort of 10 years ago, I think, anyway. And, and suddenly he's re-emerging as a sort of older, more serious actor, which is only good news. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's told in flashbacks as they have the interview. So she remembers things in sort of miniature chunks. Chunks, right, right, And right. then it'll come back. And then maybe we'll see her doing something else. Like she chats to a priest who's played by John Hurt. John Hurt brilliantly plays a priest who chats to her. And, they, and it's sort of half a confession, So is it firing counseling. on all cylinders, basically? I thought it was absolutely magnificent. I was blown away by the camera work, the cinematography by Stéphane Fontaine, who I'm not familiar with either. It reminded me of the Revenant cinematographer who's famous for his long shots. I feel like they just seamlessly blend into it. There's so many long tracking shots that sort of ghost around and follow her around the White House. It turns the White House into almost a haunted house in different places and you, you feel like you can see the ghosts of the past so it's Jackie just... feels the ghost of the past <laughs> everything it works though. okay really okay, okay I get it calm Sorry, down, like, calm you, down you like. need to turn me down turn you down I'm turning down a few notches you're on 11 let's go down to 9 okay. um, is this going to sweep the Oscars then is this going to get all the awards I reckon it should have got more Golden Globes than La La Land I thought this was much more daring original and astonishing than that film and for the Oscars Natalie Portman is a shoe in for a nomination I think she should win it probably 
So I wonder, and then this is an interesting one. So if, if we've got any Americans out there, do email in. I wonder if maybe this is going to be a different film for people who don't have that uh, that link to Jackie Kennedy as an American icon and everything like that. Right. Because it sounds like it's portraying Jackie in a very odd unique way that she probably hasn't been portrayed at. It almost and, removes you from Jackie to analyse an, a neutral sense of grief and isolation as apart from all her sort of fashionista history. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. takes it away from Jackie in some But ways. then whenever you have these particular figures, uh, and the, the one I'm thinking of is Princess Diana, when you have a, yes. an icon like that, you kind of have a lot of emotions attached to that person, lots of lots of feelings. And therefore, when you have somebody sort of suggesting something deep and dark and personal... Some people really don't like that. Do you think maybe American audiences will slightly be a bit put off by it? Well, that's a really good point. I, as I tried to say very ineloquently there, what I think the film really succeeds in is I don't actually think it does a lot of story crafting. I don't think it does suggest really big melodramatic things happening behind the scenes. I think everything it discusses is actually very within the realms of possibility. And it just presents them. Yeah, and it, it doesn't feel like it's trying to turn Jackie into someone else. It doesn't particularly feel like it's trying to shine a spotlight onto the real Jackie Kennedy because it's filmed in this unique way. You know, like I said, it's the impressionist painting thing. It's much more of a sort of exploration of grief and guilt and sort of legacy, almost abstracted from Jackie herself. And yet it, it has to be tied to her. It's a sort of film where you'll leave it thinking to yourself, whoa, that was <laughs> quite an experience. Could she have felt like that? Question mark. As opposed to, oh, right. That's how she felt. Interesting, really, really interesting. And I think that's the film knows exactly what it's doing. I, I, it's just astonishing. What I'm grade is it? I think you're, you need to. <laughs> I want to give it an A plus, Phil. Wow. It's, yeah, I think it's it's it blew me away utterly. I so love a must see for everyone. I think so. I think there will be people who won't like it because it's odd. It's it's an unusual experience, but I think it's meant to be uncomfortable. And if you just give it its time, it's not even that long a film. It's under two hours, I think. If you just give yourself over to it, I think you'll be astonished by it. There are some incredibly powerful scenes. There's one in the, in a powder room where she's cleaning up. I'll leave it at that. And it, it's just, oh, it's, it's like a piercing, like genuinely piercing. Uh, well, there you Natalie go. Portman is just amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I can't stop myself. Right, Laurie, you're on pause officially while I wrap this right, up. Okay, okay. Guys, that was Jackie. Do email in if you've seen this film and you agree with Laurie and you think, wow, what a film. You can reach us, superbaileybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbaileybros on Twitter. I'd be really interested to know as well if you didn't like it. An impressionist painting has a lot of different impressions. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because some of the early comments I've seen of people who've been seared advanced screenings, a lot of people seem disappointed because they thought it would be a biopic. And I think, you know, that's perhaps the fault of the title of the movie, the posters. But you've seen the trailer, haven't you? The trailer is, yeah, it was a much more dark and sort of yeah mysterious film that i realized so definitely prepare yourself going into it and phil just really really in rapid speaks i think it would be interesting as someone who has studied america basically can you give us like a couple of seconds on who jackie might be to american audiences i think she's just a unique person in history because she was one of the first sort of televised first ladies and the i mean jfk was one of the first sort of televised presidents as well that was really interesting he's this handsome good-looking californian boy i mean really interesting and famous like a beach boy didn't he yeah he really did that was this part of his appeal was it really and one of the most interesting things was looking at the debate between richard nixon and jfk people who heard it on the radio thought richard nixon won people who heard it uh, saw it on tv thought jfk had won no hands way. down and that is the power of television and jackie 
Jackie is in the midst of all of that. She is this fashion, like you were saying, this icon of fashion, very graceful, very, very full of sort of charm and, and regalness. And the film definitely carries that across. Like she's shown to be totally aware of the media and the power of it and a desire to sort of shape that. So, well, I wonder. I'd be really interested to know. Americans out there, American listeners, tell us what you thought. Please do. There we go. Sorry, Phil. I do apologise for going on and on and on. It was really nice hearing you enjoy on film. And on and on and on and on and on well listeners this is actually a sort of post-production thing here because the two reviews that phil and i have got for manchester by the sea and jackie are quite intense reviews because they're sort of oscar films right oscar yeah contenders. yeah so i just thought we have to put a little breather in between <laughs> it's a bit too serious a bit too critical right and i mean if this is obviously it's a serious breather too film. i mean let's not make light of it because Sorry, yes, yes, yes. we just saw our first glimpse of brian cranston as zordon in the new power rangers trailer so mm. i think that needs a bit of tiny fake movie news discussion i'm really glad to to see that they've they've really got the seriousness of the character well i just felt like he was right there i mean it's exactly how i'd always imagined him so just we listen to it yeah let's let, well let's play it for the listeners a so little slice of that trailer yeah here you go none of us really know each other we're all screw-ups but somehow we were all in the same place at the same time when billy found those coins <laughs> guys check out how we glow I'm blue. <laughs> oh, I'm black. What? I am. No, you're not. <laughs> no. Do you feel weird? We're strong. Insanely strong. The answer to what is happening to you is here. You five are the Power Rangers. Did I just hear you say we're Power Rangers? Is this some kind of joke? We're talking to a wall. I was kind of expecting a little more. First up, hats off to Brian Cranston. I mean, his career is just going from strength to strength, right? I'm really glad that they decided to get somebody so serious and who can really convey the, the meaning of that role. Yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally with you, Phil. I mean, I, I certainly don't think that what's revealed in that trailer in any way is a rip-off of Chronicle and every superhero movie ever. It's really nice to see that what they're doing is they're using the the classic icons that we have from the past, you know, the 80s and things. Yeah. And they're really making it gritty and dark and really hammering home how serious well, this is. And I had nearly There's some forgotten. creativity here, you know. Well, that's... Oh, you're so right. You're so, and I'd nearly forgotten about Power Rangers. I mean, that's something I saw as a kid. And I'm so glad that now I can think about it again as a grown-up person. And, I and can... it'd be cool, you know. Like, it'd be so It's cool. so sad when you can't enjoy the things from your past as fun things you want them to be mature and they you want some grittiness you know yeah and what good are memories anyway like i mean who cares about remembering things fondly i'd rather experience it today right now updated you know know, i'd rather the real world for the real world i'd rather erase my memories for the sake of something new and i can't wait to pay for this one as well i mean i'm going to avoid all the screenings because i think they they deserve my cash go go power rangers (laughs) you know we weren't allowed to watch power rangers no we weren't maybe that's why we don't have the nostalgia (laughs) do you remember though before our parents decided to turn it off we used to wear when you were a little boy of course you wear wifrance phil do you remember turning those upside down on your head like the power ranger masks (laughs) come on you do remember it no put that motley love away no (laughs) (laughs) well there we go listeners uh there's your little breather now onwards and upwards if I was going to ask you what emotion Casey Affleck gives off most, what would you say? <laughs> That's a good question. I think confusion, actually. Okay, anything else? Anger. Anger, okay, anything else? Uh, 
I don't know, Phil. I feel like you're building up. What, what, what's in your mind? Well, I'm just, I'm just really interested, genuinely quite interested, because I think the guy's a little bit inscrutable. He definitely is that. I've been very impressed by him in the few things I've seen him in, including a trailer for Manchester by the Sea, as it happens. Well, funny you should mention that <laughs> film, because this is the film I've seen this week, Manchester by the Sea. It stars Casey Affleck, and people have been going nuts over his performance. Mm. Critics have been saying how wonderful he is. People are tipping him for the Oscar. And... I find that quite surprising because Casey Affleck, I wouldn't say, is renowned for being especially emotive or think he's sort of, he's not a bad actor at all, but often it's not a loud performance. It's quite an internal performance. Like it's a lot of stuff going on behind the eyes. Rather exactly. Than and exactly. And that's the, that's the thing which he's kind of known for. He, I, when I do a Casey Affleck, do you want to hear my Casey Affleck impression? I do, but hold on, just to support what you said, you reviewed the film Gone Baby Gone on what we've been watching a little while ago. And you, you weren't that impressed by him, in fact. No, because he seems a bit dry and he's kind of like, hey, I'm Casey Affleck. Nice impression. That is, and, and the thing is, it's really hard. You try and do an impression of Casey Affleck. Well, you know, the, I was trying to get there. I was trying to get down to the pub, man. Like that. How's that? Is that good? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> anyway, enough silliness. Let's talk about this film, Manchester by the Sea. It's directed and written by Kenneth Lonergan, who also wrote Gangs of New York, yeah. that Martin Scorsese film. Stars Casey Affleck. It stars Carl Chandler, Michelle Williams. And it also stars a young guy played by Lucas Hedges, and that's kind of the main cast. The plot basically is Casey Affleck is playing a guy called Lee Chandler who is shocked to find out his brother has died. His brother is from Manchester near in the Boston sort of area. And he has to go and deal with the fact that his brother's died, deal with the funeral things. And while he's there, he discovers that the guardianship, the the sort of parental responsibility for his nephew has been put onto him. Yes. And... He is not in a place to deal with that. He's living in Boston, working as sort of a handyman, dealing with awful clients and and just sort of seems to be not really much going on with his life. And suddenly he's got to deal with this responsibility and return, it seems, to this place which has some sort of meaning to him. And he's just maybe is not on board with that. Okay, Is we got a clip? Yeah, this is in fact the clip where the the lawyer sorting out his will for his brother is, is telling him and revealing to him that he has been given the charge of Patty, his nephew. Okay. I don't understand. Which uh, part are you having trouble with? Well, I can't be his guardian. Well, uh... I mean, I can't. Well, naturally, I, I assumed Joe had discussed all this with you. No. He didn't. No. Uh, I, I, sorry, I have to say I'm somewhat taken aback. He can't live with me. I live in one room. <laughs> well, but Joe has provided for Patrick's upkeep. Food, clothes, etc. And the house and the boat are owned outright. I can't commute from Boston every day until he turns 18. I think the idea was that you would relocate. Re- relocate to where? Well, if you yeah. look, it's, it, well, as you can see, you know, your brother worked everything out extremely carefully. Uh, but he can't have yes, uh, meant that. Quite a raw sort of scene, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that kind of sums up the main drive of the film. It is about him dealing with the fact that he's got this responsibility and he doesn't want to have to relocate. He doesn't want to have to do all these things. And he seems to be almost blindsided by it, by his now deceased brother. This film, I, I love this film. I thought it was great. Really? I really enjoyed it. I still don't quite feel like I've understood it properly. I'm still sort of processing it. But it is a really good film. And I think if you've seen the trailer for this film, it's a very... 
it's sort of like what's there. And I think I have to give credit to the awards, the the film awards for drawing attention to this film. <laughs> really? Because this is exactly the sort of film which these awards should be for. It's the sort of film which isn't really very marketable, isn't very easy to kind of present and, and get people to pay attention to it. And yet it's the sort of film which people should watch and, and, and see. And Should is quite a, a big word there, Phil. It is like a big, you're saying that's it, an obligation. Not it, an obligation, it's an education, but I think, you, you know. I think it's a film with quality. It's a film with intent, a film with just real care put into it. And Casey Affleck, Casey Affleck, I feel like is the whole film. He is Lee Chan. He is the 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 center of this little dilemma. Even though Patty, his nephew, is a big part of it too. And I went in knowing that Casey Affleck was getting all this critical acclaim, and and people were saying he just won a Golden Globe for his performance. And so I went in kind of thinking, well, how is he going to blow me away? How is it all yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of dopey Casey going to impress me? <laughs> and actually, I I kind of have to eat my words, and I think it's not. An usual performance is actually almost perfectly suited to him because Lee Chandler is a guy just with so much bubbling under the surface. So much is about him inside and Casey Affleck is the perfect sort of person. Yeah, well, we just talked about that. Perfect sort of person to convey the fact that there's so much going on inside and very little going on on the surface. I mean, him dealing with his brother's death, all the people around him are crying and and sort of in distraught about the fact that his, this brother who's much beloved in the community has died and yet Casey Affleck's character Lee is just sort of monosyllabic about it all he's like okay well what do we have to do for this okay oh, well, now I've got to deal with the funeral guy and stuff and he's sort of almost cracking jokes about it in a very dry way what the thing that is making me want to see this as you're talking Phil is all the things you're not saying so all the mystery about why he's like this and it just sounds like there's a lot of things you're not telling me but the if it's as simple as the premise you're saying, you know, what is it that should draw people to it? You're saying it's the awards that drew you to it. What What is notable about this movie? I can't really say. Okay. It what is, is, it is that secret, is it? All right. Well, it's, 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 the film doesn't want you to know. The trailers don't want you to know what's really going on. And there is that kind of the drive of the film is what is really the deal with this guy and what's what's going on. And, and yet the film as a package is so beautifully put together dealing with death dealing with somebody who's died and grief and things like that this film is completely not interested in what you should feel and is much more interested in what you do feel wow, and that's okay. sort of weird distance you have where you've got all the practicalities of somebody dying and those sort of life continuing on i mean patty the nephew is a is a guy who's he's he's got a hockey team he's got two girlfriends that he's sort of double dating oh with. wow and he's got his friends in this this town manchester and he just wants to carry on living his life and he's, his dad's died, but how do you process that? And yeah, yeah, yeah. life carries on and you've got to carry on even though you're sad. And the film is dealing with that. That is kind of what the subject is. There's more to it. I will say that there's more to it. And the trailer makes it seem much more simpler well, and just boring. Tell me it isn't like about a boy, basically. It's not like about a boy Because, I mean, you've got, you've got a sort of taciturn guy who's not used to hanging around with people. I can tell that from the trailer. And then you, you, suddenly this boy turns up in his life. And that has been done loads of times. Are you telling me that isn't the story? It's not about that. It's not really about the boy I'm in, quite at glad all to hear in that. some ways. It's just about Lee Chandler. And that's why so many people are saying, Casey Affleck, what a, what a legend, what, what a great guy. Okay, okay. Because it is entirely about his performance that makes the film work. Because... You see, there's a tiny little scene where he's dealing with one of his tenants that he's his job is dealing with. Yeah, yeah. And they're frustrated about his tap. And you just see Casey Affleck, the way he stands, the way he moves his hands, 
while he's dealing with this guy explaining, oh, my, there's a leak and I want this tap to stop leaking. And, yeah, yeah. And you just see his sort of slightly awkwardness as of where to put his hands. And you get so much about that performance. Wow. And it's such a physical performance in his eyes, where his eyes go and things like that. It's a beautifully nuanced thing. And you're, the whole film, you're just waiting for that reveal of what's going on inside this guy and waiting for it to burst out of him. You feel like he's got so much on him. You're waiting for that all to kind of happen. When, when's it going to land? When's all this grief going to land? When's all this frustration going to land? And there's just these tiny little outlets where it does and punches out. And it's, it's, it's amazingly just you're with this guy as he's going through this. But then at the same time, the film isn't, isn't about sort of explicitly stating what's going on. It's not about saying this is that and, and, and joining up all the dots for you. And it does leave the, leave the audience in kind of a bit of a mysterious place. You're not entirely sure where to place everything. And yet I'm really glad I saw that film. I mean, you could almost describe it as like an impressionist painting that's really vivid and, you know, not tied down. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to jump in and But no, I don't me. think it is. I think it's an impressionist painting would be sort of imagery and vagueness. This okay. film isn't vague. It's concealed and you're, you have to interpret much like real life you have to interpret the things that people are giving off okay and read into that so it's very real you think it's very real but it's not down that's the thing which is really surprising it's dealing with sort of death and the sadness of that but the film's so often bouncing between humor and darkness and difficulty and grief there's some really nice funny little scenes between patty and lee as they sort of deal with this sort of thing in a very dry dark humor way so it's not a sort of bleeding hearty film which is supposed to have you you know it's not sort of terms of endearment tea for example no or certainly it's not pushing that onto you there's some some really difficult things that the film touches on but what i think it's constantly doing and a lot of credit needs to go to the direction as well is showing you the light and dark of life yeah, okay. And I know that sounds really pretentious. No, and no, annoying, that's cool. That's great. But this film feels very lifelike and very much sort of you laugh when probably it's not right. You're not really ready to laugh, and there's things which are funny, and people <laughs> deal with things in different ways. Man, it sounds like a tour de force, and I'm so glad you liked it. For a film, I mean, this is Casey Affleck's getting all the attention. You don't think it's going to be nominated, for example, for best picture or you know best editing that kind of thing? Is there anything else about it that screams at you? I think. People have done well to pinpoint Casey Affleck as the thing you right. need to notice. And in fact, I, when I started watching him, I was thinking, right, well, how's he going to blow me away? And the thing is, the way he blows you away is by not blowing you away. Right. If that makes any sense whatsoever. It certainly does. I feel does. like I'm talking like I'm well, a tell- spy telling cryptic <laughs> clues to those who... Let me tell you what you've done, Phil. Uh, as we've been talking, because I have the computer in front of me, I've brought up Manchester by the Sea on Wikipedia. And normally what I do in this situation is think, well, I'm probably not going to get to see this one. So I'll just check the plot Don't out. Don't read the plot. But I haven't. You've convinced me not to do that. So congratulations. Good. I'm Even glad. though it's right there in front of me, I still haven't read it. Don't read it. Okay. Don't read it. I will it needs, go and see the it. The film is really nice at weaving in and the editing actually is exceptional because it chooses to weave in flashbacks and episodes from the past that start filling in the blanks in his in his mind and past okay and actually it sometimes even does that concurrently with the present time and it's edited together really nicely so really the film has taken care to reveal things as it should so don't spoil it what's the great man i'm gonna give it an a i think it's great film and i still am thinking about how the ending what does that say? What's it trying to say? And I'm not entirely sure. And sometimes I get really frustrated with those sort of films. And actually, I feel quite at peace with it. Wow. Well, listeners, Phil has blown me away. I feel like that's two very heavy movies that we've done. <laughs> well, these but- are two Oscar movies. This is what I feel 
awards should be about. They draw attention to films that maybe you wouldn't even notice otherwise. This is why it's, it's so much fun doing the show, man. <laughs> like, we, we need this kind of month every month, but there we go. Uh, listeners, let us know if you've seen it, what you thought, and were you as blown away by Casey Affleck as Phil clearly was? Send your thoughts to superbellybros at gmail.com, at superbellybros on Twitter. Any final notes, Phil, or should we move on? It's always funny seeing uh, English towns in America. Manchester by the well, sea. Well, that's exactly what I thought. I was like, it's Manchester by the sea. Are there two Manchesters? Blah, 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 blah. And it's another what? one which has got a really bad title. I mean, Jackie isn't exactly revealing of what the film's going to be about. Yeah, true. Manchester by the sea. I have no idea. Yeah, nicely said. Do you know what? This has been Boston as well, isn't it? Of course, as you said. Yeah, he's from Quincy. What's the deal? Like, there are so many films about Boston, Phil. Is that, you know, Matt Damon produced this. Is that part of it? Well, I mean, Matt Damon, obviously, great friends with his brother. Casey Affleck was in Goodwill Hunting. They love that area. That's where they grew up. That's well, their hometown. And the film I'm reviewing later in the episode, Live By Night, also set there. It's just interesting to me that Boston has so much cinematic heritage. Old school town, man. There we go. Now, Phil, you're actually sat in a different position in the studio today. You shoved me in the corner, yeah. I have. How do you feel in the corner? Uh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm okay with it. I feel a little bit colder. I've lost my warm, comfy spot. But it's been relegated, I think it's listeners. for a good reason, isn't it? Yeah. Well, listeners, we are welcoming Benedict Seal to the Super Betty Bros and Movie Land studio. A film student extraordinaire at Oxford Brooks University, responsible for the critics' fortnight that happened at the Ultimate Picture Palace, if any of you went to see that. Very impressive. I didn't do anything like that when I was a student, did you? No, no, no. Not no. even close. Uh, and he has just become the Super Betty Bros and Movie Land horror correspondent. You've may remember that phil and i well how would you describe us phil i think we're basically wimps i think that's the thing we're a bit afraid of the movies yeah horrors entail so benedict has flexed his muscles and you know girded his loins is that (laughs) right not at all (laughs) and uh, has decided to become our horror correspondent now benedict you may speak and say hello thank you it's wonderful to be here thank you very much you're very very welcome uh do you want to give us a quick rundown other than the embarrassing things we just said of who you are of who I am. Yep, so I am a film student. I guess that's what I'm doing at the moment. But as for my horror credentials, I suppose this is what <laughs> you'll all want to hear. Uh, I write for the horror website Bloody Disgusting. Oh. Uh, I've covered the Fright Fest Film Festival for them and the London Film Festival. So hopefully I can give you a kind of an insight, be your man on the ground. He sounds more inside. qualified than we do. <laughs> exactly what I was thinking, Phil, but I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> no, I was going to say it. Benedict, you're really, really welcome. What is the film, your debut? What are you going to review for us? So my debut is The Bye Bye Man, which mm. came out last weekend and uh, has a stupid title, but is it a stupid film? That is the big question. All right, good stuff. Well, uh, do you want to give us a bit of a rundown and, and then we'll play a clip and we'll launch straight into it? Sure, I will. So the film opens in a, with a cold open set in 1969 and we have a guy bursting out of a car into his neighbor's house wielding a shotgun and he is threatening his neighbors and he's saying, do you know the, the name? Oh. That's air quotes there. <laughs> do you know the name? Have you told anyone? And then he proceeds to blow them to smithereens. No. He does, yeah. Oh. It's quite, it's quite, a, it's quite a arresting opening, I must say. And then we cut to the present day, and there are three university students in Michigan, I think, somewhere around there. Let's and, say Michigan. Uh, yeah, that'll do. They have just moved to a new house off campus, just the three of them. Two of them are young lovers. We have Elliot, and we've got Sasha, and then we've got Elliot's best friend, John. And they've moved into this massive new abandoned creepy house of good choice was that on student lettings or something like that i, I know I, it, it's it's insanely big uh but somehow they can they can afford this thing and in this creepy house uh things start going bump in the night and elliot goes to investigate and he finds in his nightstand which to me was a bedside table but <laughs> in the film they call it a nightstand 
uh, scrawled in the kind of in the wood of the drawer, the bye bye man. Bad handwriting. Uh, pretty good handwriting actually. Oh, really? In 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 a kind of however it was written in a rushed rushed way with a knife. It's it's pretty very uh, legible. It's legible. Quite hard they want to make sure it's legible. Take their time. You know, you're saying it's a rush. I wouldn't be able to carve well with a knife at speed. <laughs> I know. One of the main questions is I don't know how it got there, but it did, and it's there for the movie. And the strange thing about the bye bye man is when you say his name, that kind of gives him power. And when you think about him, he gets closer and closer and closer to you. Is this not a complete ripoff already of the Candyman, where you say his name a number of times and stuff goes wrong? Yep, that 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 stuff is certainly in there, and the mm. whole uh, the Bloody Mary kind of thing. You know, when you say Bloody Mary into a mirror, it's that it's that game. Okay, <laughs> so were we in danger of the Barbara Man because I think we said his name quite a few times I know, we already. Have, already we have, Phil, yeah. but we haven't heard any coined drops. Oh right, okay. So to deal with the Bye Bye Man's threat. Your characters try to avoid saying his name to each other, but especially to other people, and they have to try and avoid thinking his name. Goodness so they me. repeat to themselves, don't think it, don't say it. So don't think bye-bye man is what they're thinking. Don't think it. Well, that's, yes, it, that's exactly. a classic. I remember that even scaring me for completely different reasons when I was, I don't know, like five or six, and people used to play that trick on you and say, don't think about pink elephants on roller skates. Do you remember that, Phil? Mm, it was and referenced it, in uh, Inception, I believe. Was it? That mm. phrase as well? Well, they use it as an illustration of uh, dream things and don't th- how difficult it is to think about things. Well you said. that bit? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we can play a clip so <laughs> who, I don't sound from that, stupid. Uh, that description, Phil? Yeah. That, yeah. But mm. all, all I mean is it sounds like just about as many cliches as possible sure. and well-worn tropes so that everyone can relate to this situation. Am I right? Uh, they can relate to the situation, yeah. Insofar as they're generally not chased by a horrifying demon. Uh, yes. Where Have we got a clip? I think we do. There has been an accident involving a train and along come the police and one of the detectives played by Carrie-Anne Moss. Mm, from the Matrix, of course. Interesting. Trinity. Yeah. She is trying to speak to these three leads and work out what is going on. But of course, they can't say anything. Oh, they can't uh, say anything. Uh, you'd think they might be able to find a way around it. Anyway, look, let's not do this. Do you do have this. to say it very purposefully or can you say bye-bye in a bit of a strange way? Bye-bye. Bye-bye, man. <laughs> um, Maybe in that's French. That's a very good question. They au, do- au revoir, homme. Alum, dumb. Is that how you say it? <laughs> We're out of our depth already. Should we play the clip? Should we play the clip? Yeah. But ben, any further intro or should we play? No, that's good. Go for it. Thank you for saying that was good. It wasn't. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you, huh? Hey, guys. Hey, break it up. I said break it up right now. Back up. He got to you, didn't he? No one got to me, all right? Admit it. He's making you feel angry. He's making you sick. Yeah? He's making you crazy. You want something? No, I'm upset. We were just having a little argument. You call that a little argument? John, please, please don't say it. Don't say what? Sasha. What? Say? You can't. This name of some stupid Elliot thinks is dangerous. I wish I could say it was giving me chills. It didn't really, but I was. I was intrigued. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Because this is this is a very strange movie, as you say, Laurie. The cliches are there. Yeah, with tons of them. We've got seances. We've got weird spiritually connected characters. Yeah. Uh, we've got these coins dropping on the floor. We've got things going boom in the night. We've got doors creaking creaking open, and the strange, mysterious hooded guy. That's fine. You can go like cliches is okay. But one interesting thing, and I was talking to Phil about this earlier is if you think about your kind of your classic horror boogeyman, your 
Jason Voorhees and your Freddy Kruegers and your Michael Myers. Do you remember all those, Phil? Yeah. Yep. Mm. Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, and the other one, Friday the Thirteenth. Oh yeah, of yeah. Friday the Thirteenth. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's Jason Voorhees. Michael Myers is Halloween. This is this is what I'm here for, <laughs> listeners. No. Uh, <laughs> and those characters had that. There was a plot. There was a story kind of without that character that then that character played a side role in. This is a movie called The Bye-Bye Man, which is putting this strange character at front and center because the character has a strange origin, actually. The film is based on a chapter from a non-fiction, air quotes there. <laughs> right. So it's uh, a true story, is well, that what you're telling me? Well, I mean, there's a difference between non-fiction and true, isn't there? Yeah, okay, keep going. There is. And this, this book by Robert Damon Schneck, called The President's Vampire, Strange But True Tales of the United States of America. Okay, so... What a read that of, must have been. If you read it in history, that's what he's Oh, it is, about. very okay. much so. So there was a chapter in that about this strange tale of the bye-bye man. And the movie rights were optioned from that chapter. Right. And nothing really was happening with it until The Slender Man... Oh, yeah, the, that's familiar. the massive craze the last couple of yeah, years. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Dangerous, in fact. And Well, indeed, yeah. Until he came along, and then I suppose producers seeing, well, we've got a tall, pale-faced, cloaked, creepy guy. Why don't we make a movie about him? So you're saying they started with the monster rather than any other other premise or anything else, and they're trying to cobble together something to go around it. Yeah, that's tell me, exactly what I'm saying. Benedict, with, with all that, tell me, did you jump? You know, the jump scares I, sound like they were absolutely there in buckets. As you already pointed out, there's not necessarily anything wrong with cliches. That's the reason they exist, because they're good ideas. You might as well use them again and again. But only if they actually work. Did it work? Sure. I, it's, it jolted me a couple of times. Okay. But there was nothing that stayed with me. Right. And these jolts are shrieks in the soundtrack. They're faces popping up in windows. Right. This right, kind right, of thing. Right. So they're quite cheap scares. Super cheap. And no sort Incredibly of... Incredibly cheap. No sort of depth or philosophical pondering. Because, you know, horror movies do have that potential because they deal with supernatural and, like, the depths of human, like, fear and the evil that c- can come out. Nothing? <laughs> None of that either? Not really. Okay. Um, there's some, it, there's, are a couple of interesting elements. One of the things the Bye Bye Man does, one of the things that we can work out that he does, even though it's never clear, there, there are no kind of fixed set of rules. They kind of chop and change and seem to be used by the writers to kind of create these scenes that yeah, then yeah, they yeah. cobble together is the idea that these three characters the bye bye man kind of turns them against each other right okay and there's just three of them which i suppose is quite a small cast for one of these kind of teen horror movies that means there isn't really any fodder to kind of get rid of to to raise the stakes well yeah yeah exactly you have uh these three characters you have no randomers that you can really kill off in a way right, okay and the bye bye man is strange because he doesn't kill you he makes you homicidal and kill others. Right, okay. Which links back to that. Which is why they're desperate for him not to say the phrase, and you're getting angry. That's what they said sure. in the clip, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Mm. Okay. Wow, okay. I mean, you're making it sound quite interesting, Benedict, as if they've, yeah. they've kind of wandered off a different path. But then, you know, as interesting as three friends being turned against each other slowly sound, that also happened in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. Yeah. And I didn't find that very scary, actually. Yeah, it's scary, certainly not. I think it could have been interesting... <laughs> There, there, I think there's a version of this movie that sets place pretty much entirely in the house. Right. And kind of treat it like a tra- chamber piece. Or like mm. even a stage you know? play or something. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. Where these three people are slowly turned against each other and start having homicidal thoughts. Yeah, okay. That might be interesting. But what we get is following all these cliches, it kind of escalates in the way you might expect it to with kind of a final showdown 
it's playing to these horror audiences because horror audiences are, I would argue, more likely to turn up to schlock yeah, and sure, rubbish sure. than other audiences because they might find something enjoyable in it. And yet that means their schlock palette is probably quite finely tuned. Yeah. <laughs> they can tell the difference between different kinds of schlock very well. And in a way, this film doesn't give the horror fans what they want. Right. This is 15 rated. It's surprisingly bloodless. What, last question and then probably great. Yeah. Carrie, Carrie Ann Moss, good, okay. bad? Yeah, uh, she adds a bit of class. She's not in it a lot, but I she's an enjoyable screen presence. I like watching her. At least you do have that. You have this lead character, Elliot, played by a guy called Douglas Smith, who I don't recognise, but I'm sure somebody does. And he's pretty solid. Probably his mum recognises the name. Yeah. <laughs> Probably, yeah. I'm sure she'd be very pleased. Cause yeah, he's oh, definitely. Okay. <laughs> so what sort of grade would you give Bye Bye Man? Well, see... How low do you go is the question. We go... You know? We're actually rubbish at this. Someone has emailed us to tell us that we're not very good at using we, the full I think we've been a bit too. we've been a bit too generous with our grades, I think. We so really stray below If you want to go down to F... See, no, I don't want to go down to F, but... And I, I was thinking kind of C range, okay. but then I realised that technically going down to F, there are three more grades below it. <laughs> and I think it does sit within that area so i would be tempted to say possibly a d right wow. okay hey well that i think that might be our first ever actual d really <laughs> or maybe okay. I, did I, I think i gave uh bad santa two a d actually did you fair fairness, enough which it yeah, certainly yeah. deserved but way to go what way a to debut start what a debut <laughs> i know so um, are we gonna say bye bye to the bye bye man we are indeed gonna say bye bye to the bye how, bye how man. long how long were you thinking of that one for i thought about it five minutes ago did you really yeah. he actually thought about it then <laughs> benedict thank you so much listeners as ever send your thoughts in to superbaileybros at gmail.com and at superbaileybros on twitter say hi to benedict why not welcome him to the show big thanks to him for putting up with me and phil just giggling like idiots <laughs> which is basically <laughs> all we've done in this interview are we gonna you? are we gonna include benedict on the plus ones and minus ones or well benedict do you want to be Have you, sort you know of graded is, by the it. listeners I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take so it. I'll stick by my D. I, I think uh, I think people people might feel similarly. They'll be on your side. So if you yeah. agree with Benedict and you've gone to see Bye Bye Man and you think that is a D movie, send him a plus one. If not, minus one. But Welcome beware, to beware, the show. <laughs> beware, Benedict. Those minus ones do sting. Oh. Yeah, Phil knows it better than I'm, me. I'm ready for it. Good. I'm wearing that. That that D. Now, the other final thing that we tend to do, Benedict, and don't feel the pressure here, is yeah. that occasionally Phil and I include a bonuses, and I've done sure. massive air quotes there. That that basically is stuff that either made you laugh or you thought was weird, and it doesn't really fit into criticism. What have you got? You look like you've got something. See, I can prove I'm a fan. Yeah. Yes. I, I, as I was making my notes, I was like, oh, it's a bonus. <laughs> no, that's, that's not well going to go into my plot well description done. or my uh, plus points or anything. Uh, so a funny thing is... As Elliot is researching the Bye Bye Man, he, of course, that kind of horror trope as well. He goes to the library. Of course. And the search engine he uses is called... Yes. It's not like horrorsearch.com or something stupid. Just search. Just search. Search. (laughs) Nonsense. Yeah. Is it done in sort of the the colouring of Google, for example? Is it blue, green and yellow? I believe it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Search.com. Any final bonuses? Uh, Yeah. So I, I don't know whether this has happened to you two, but again, I keep going back to this opening scene, which is quite interesting. And... The location pops up and the date pops up and the date was my birthday. Was it really? Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Are you going to tell us what that is? Maybe you don't want to give that away. It's October 20th. Oh. So Put it in your diaries, listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Too. That's, you know, I have never had that happen Have you not? See, I was wondering so whether in films that feature newspaper articles or specific dates playing a part in the plot, whether that's ever... I've never, ever had that happen. Very, very good. Okay, thank you, Benedict. That's okay. We'll be having you back again soon, I'm sure. You will. Wise, cool, 
totally not a doofus because he supports us on Patreon. He's Kufusius. Okay, emails and tweets time. We've got a few to go through. Thanks so much for getting in touch, everyone. Starting with Esther on movies in two parts, which is a couple of weeks ago now. Yeah, this is your thing. Does it affect a movie? Yeah, here we go. Hi, bros. Enjoyed your discussion. I don't do this often, but I can think of two notable times I did split the movie into two halves, and I can't say I'd recommend it. First was watching my potential favourite film of all time, The Lives of Others. Do you know the one, Phil? I think that's a spy movie. It's right, that's right. They're using sort of recording equipment. Yeah, I remember seeing... I remember seeing... Um, uh, one of those 50 greatest spy movies of all time and I watched it with I was watching it with my, uh, my housemate and he said oh this is a good, really good film and then he's like hang on a second they're showing the most important scene like the no. scene which changes everything about the movie as a clip <laughs> like which ruins the movie so <laughs> they I feel do like that all the time it's like the usual suspects uh, yeah so they slightly spoiled that film for me but I heard it's a very good film yeah well she goes on this film starts pretty slowly and I got a bit tired so I stopped watching partway through without really getting into it lost all momentum basically as i hadn't reached the sweet spot when you want to return to the story so didn't fancy going back sit on the shelf for ages eventually i forced myself to return i personally can't stand leaving things unfinished books and films included and i discovered how amazing and compelling the film really was i've watched it twice more since interestingly oh she carries on sorry i forgot to mention this i introduced it to my sister-in-law who did the exact same thing and went to bed halfway through watching it <laughs> even she went uh, eventually went back to it too and loved it so there we go lives of others the second film i did this with and this makes me laugh because in some ways in my head these are the same film was downfall <laughs> which i picked to watch at a time when i clearly wasn't in the right mood for dark scenes and shouty nazis that's the the film which uh, lots of memes were made out of where uh, it's about Hitler and the the ending of his sort That's of... That's right, the last few days. And mm. it's all in German and people change the subtitles for it in a very particular scene. It's Hitler finds out this piece of news, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I've even done one of them. Have you really? What was <laughs> yeah, that about? I did it for um, a university thing and it was all about how the cafeteria on Mondays sometimes did Meatless Mondays and how rubbish <laughs> that was. <laughs> oh, no. anyway. It's quite a funny meme. That's worth thinking anyway, about, to be side fair. Anyway, you, you carry on. Uh, she says, I stopped watching it. It's also pretty long, I seem to remember, and didn't return for a whole year. Eventually, I committed myself to going back to it, given the critical acclaim, and made sure I had enough time to do it in one sitting. It was excellent. That's, I think that highlights the main problem with stopping a film a bit too soon is sometimes you need that. You need to just hold on. I think it's interesting. One of the what we've been watching films that Benedict did was uh, a film called uh, The Lady from Shanghai. And he even said... It's a short film, only 90 minutes long, but the first half is all build up. And actually, if you can hold out to the end, that's where the good stuff is. It's very hard. It's tough, though, isn't it? Because time is precious and we're not used to that style of filmmaking anymore, I wouldn't say. So, well, there we go. Sounds like it's worth a go. Thanks, Esther. Uh, Next email here from The Natural on Collateral Beauty. He says some guesswork here. If collateral damage is unintended harm outside of the intended target, then perhaps Collateral Beauty is suggesting good but unpredictable and unplanned outcomes might appear from something which seems to only be negative, namely the pain of bereavement. Does that make sense to you? So as in, it's an awful thing. Here are the random things that are beautiful because I mean, of it. That, that is the kind of conclusion that I would put together from those two words. Yes, I have thought about it. But I think that film is just dreadful for having the most annoyingly vague title that they don't even bother to explain in the film. Well, he, he goes on to say, but no credit whatsoever to the film for making any effort to help the viewer understand that. Exactly, exactly. And it's, and it's kind of like, if you're going to have a title like that, 
you can't just leave it like that. You've got to at least say why it is that and and draw on it to kind of highlight what the meanings, the implications, because the film certainly doesn't try. I think it implies it, but in the most vague way. I don't think anyone's been impressed by that film. He finishes off here. Every twist, in quotes, uh, was incredibly obvious. Nevertheless, I quite enjoyed it. Helen Mirren made a lot of a rather weak script. That's kind of what I was saying as well. I think people kind of are hungry for that sort of film, but this is a really poorly executed version of that film. Yeah, it sounds like it to me. He signs off here, and I think he signs off this way every time, The Natural, and we always forget to say it. And there goes The Natural, the best there ever was. From The Natural. Yeah, good film, Robert Redford. Okay, moving on. One here from Kalam. Please tell us if we're pronouncing your name correctly. Hey there, chaps. It was turned to your podcast by the girlfriend's brother, who suggested you guys as an addition to my normal podcast. Welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Haven't been listening for a few months now. I've come to enjoy after a couple of months. <laughs> well done for sticking with us. That's tougher. Two months rather than just an hour. It's, and it's not like a massively exciting enjoyment, is it? It's just sort of vague I've enjoyment. Come to enjoy. I've, I've sort of enjoyed. But what he says is, I enjoy the contrasting opinion you guys have compared to others like Empire and Hello Internet. Oh, good. I'm glad we're doing something a bit different. Well, Rogue One was the big one. I'm not <laughs> telling that one as any yeah. fans. Uh, listening to this week's podcast, talking about awards, I recently read the following article from Cracked, the website. And this is an article that has, or, or the title is, Five Incredible Acting Feats That Should Have Their Own Awards. Interesting. Uh, I'll just give you a couple of these. Number five is speaking a made-up language. Doesn't get enough recognition. Yes, I've thought that a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a great category. That's a tough skill, isn't it? Really impressive. I think... Um, uh, well, maybe we'll do that as a category. I've already got somebody in mind from this year's set of films. Have you really? Do you know what? I actually even thought about this just the other day. I think that would be something worth doing just as a, a director who feels brave enough should just do an ordinary film but write it in a made-up language uh, so that all the actors can do is emote and the script is irrelevant. And instead what you have is just subtitles. Ooh, that's, 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 a real, that's like a... I, could, I can see that film being made and people writing about it. I would love to do that. That was my idea. Patent, <laughs> trademark, copyright, all of that. Well, make it, man. Make it. Do you know what? I've also thought about something we should actually do for YouTube. Well, I won't say here because I think it's an awesome idea. <laughs> I'll tell you about it later. Uh, number four, acting in a mask. Very difficult skill. Impressive. Yeah, does that go on to motion capture? I mean, there's lots of people claiming that motion capture should have its own category. Well, Toby Kebbell, of course. Toby, Toby Kebbell and Andy Serkis every year, nomination, nomination, <laughs> nomination. <laughs> They'd be only two in the running. Uh, three, acting with nothing there against the blue screen, yeah, certainly. And there are a couple more as, uh, as well in there, listeners. But yeah, thank you so much for that, uh, Kalam. Uh, we are going to pay attention to that because he says, I thought some of these categories would be great suggestions for your rewards show. Yes, this is, in case you missed it last week, we are going to do the Super Bailey Bros Broward Show. Just maybe the Broward's is the broads. fine. Let's I'm do okay the Broward's. I think yeah. that's snappier. This is going to be our own nominations and things. Uh, if you've got an idea for a category for a particular award, much like that our article did, we'd love to hear it. So if you've got something bizarre and we'd like to hear what who we would pick as the winner, then do send it in. Brilliant. Well, and we will maybe steal a couple of those from Cracked because that's what I like them. They're good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Great. Okay. Look forward to hearing your thoughts. Tar Cal. Oh, I should have just called you Cal. I'm really sorry if I got your name. (laughs) Pronunciation. We really need to read the name of the bottom email before we start it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We're terrible at pronunciation, man. I wish we were better. Pronunciation. One here from the Pixel Brofil again on Rogue One. Are we allowed to talk about Rogue One? Well, we did last time, so I guess we'll just keep, <laughs> okay, keep it going. Keep it going, keep he it going. He says, I agree with you in brackets largely on Rogue One. I'm going to Somebody side with agrees you. with us. Oh, well, listen, yes. I'm going to side with <laughs> you both against the world on Rogue One and draw attention to the nuance of your views. Ah. There were good moments to this film. You were just pointing out the many flaws. I think that's fair, isn't it? We weren't totally negative. 
I think we sounded totally negative. <laughs> that was the problem, wasn't it? You couldn't get away from the disappointment in our voice. He says, plus one on the clips from the old films. I guess that's the pilot. Is that him saying he liked the clips or is that saying... No, plus one to us on our views. And then include also the cameos. Dr. Everson, he says, and the Uncanny Valley CGI, all of that stuff he thought was awful. Mm. Also awful, he says, they put things in which would only make sense to people who've played the video games. And this is very deep here. Way to go, Pixel Bro. He says, brackets, Y-Wings being bombers, Ion Cannons being blue, Star Destroyer shield generators being explicitly targeted, even though this was a kind of incidental, non-strategic thing in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> do you know what he's talking about there, Phil? Yeah. What's funny is I, I did have... I love that Y-Wing bombing level, man. <laughs> I do even remember thinking while we were watching Rogue One, I was like, oh, look, they stuck with a video game thing. No way. Because they, yeah, Y-Wings never did that in the original Star Wars. It's purely seen in uh, in the video games. It's very true, man, so yeah. that's a good little spot there. And it doesn't really bother me, but... I can see it being a bit like, oh, they paid attention to a video game over anything else. I think they stuffed the film full of that kind of stuff, you know, but I'm sure we didn't notice it all. Uh, He does say the final act was good, but for the reasons you did mention, i.e. plagiarism from other stuff. And that, you know, talking about the big battle that everyone went on about saying it saved the whole film, my opinion was that it was just a ripoff of the Return of the Jedi climax in every possible way that mattered, basically. Mm, I think... I think we've said loads on this, so I'm not going to add any more. I've changed my mind. Good. All right. Okay. He does finish off. Here's a couple more things. I'm trying to race through this. Don't worry. Uh, Things which I think this film did well, which you didn't mention. Oh, that's interesting. Let's hear that. They developed the sense of the rebels being willing to try anything because the cause was just. And that's a fair point. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Some of your objections to Jin's allegiance are overcome by the concept, brackets Nick from A New Hope, of something just so evil it had to be stopped. In this context, Team Row 1 becoming legends because they, blah, 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 to destroy something evil was a good story worth watching. Yes, I think the idea of that I agree with. I don't think that's necessarily shown on film because I don't think they really convey the fact that the Death Star is that evil. No. They make it as a, something which they have to run away from and something they want to beat, but they don't make it as this, this disgustingly awful weapon they don't emphasize the wickedness it's funny actually because you don't see much of the suffering did you notice that no you don't and you and even star wars a new hope did it better when uh just that little oh, with bit with obi-wan kenobi yeah, sitting down and millions of voices cried out and, and then into the silence. that shows so much more the idea of the tragedy of it all yeah that's right you didn't need to see a really amazing cgi rippling explosion it'd be much better if you saw the emotional reaction from the people the kind of faces agog from the uh, the we're, wave we're, of energy instead what you get is the most ridiculous sort of we've got to leave the planet now scene where they just look at this explosion coming towards them like mm, they're racing we, a tidal we, wave we better board the ship and leave <laughs> and then for no reason at all i saw a lot of people drew attention to this saw gerra forest whisker decides that that's the moment to take his stand against a giant wave of sand <laughs> it's not even like what are you gonna do what does standing against that mean nothing okay right sorry obviously you don't want to pay for us with his paycheck no <laughs> is this spoiler territory oh, it's oh, it's concluding thought i've decided this film could never be a good star wars film when they decided it would take us up to literally seconds before the opening of a new hope so in other words i agree with phil Yes, I completely am. Yeah, well, I'm, I said it, so you, I'm agreeing myself. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Phil. Uh, I thought it was a better experience overall than you both suggest, though I agree with the flaws you mentioned. I think it, both it of us agree. It just could never be good, is what he says. I think both of us agree, probably when we watch it a second time, we'll enjoy it more. 
I think that's what we both kind of Neither of us have actually done that yet, though. No, Too many other I haven't wanted to. to. I haven't wanted no, to. me neither. Uh, he says, I don't want to know what happened between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back either, though that presumably is where they'll go next. And he's probably I'm sure right. they'll fit in a movie somewhere eventually if they're doing 30 years of Star Wars or whatever it is. I think that's lame. It's one of the best things about Star Wars is that at the end of uh, A New Hope, there they are getting a medal in their little palace. And then the next time you see them, they're on a giant ice planet. Unexplained. I do, I do quite like the idea of the gap, the the jump that we're going to have from episode seven to episode eight. Yeah. And the fact that there's going to be, hopefully, there'll be progression and story development, which we won't see. And that would be so we... nice. So we don't have to literally pick it up where it left off before. Yeah. As in, there'll be a period of years in between. So we or just not even Ray years, but like just, just a few months or something like that. Just something so that you can catch up with them rather than having... It just the next minute of it being shown. That's a really good point, Phil. I hadn't thought about that, and I and now you're saying it. I totally agree. Uh, he says, "Hope that makes the critiques of my fellow pixels sting a little less." The pixel bro. Thank, Thank you very, you very much, much, pixel bro. And sorry, listeners, if we just keep talking about Rogue One, don't we? There's a lot to say. It's one of those films, isn't it? You can't get away from it. And we've had an email here from the Ultimate Picture Palace, who we really like. Uh, they ran the Critics Fortnight that Benedict, of course, hosted, Phil. Yeah. Uh, and I had an email from them just letting us know of a couple of things. So if you're based in Oxford, check out uh, Steamboat Bill Jr., the Buster Keaton film, is being shown. And introduced by a, a ukulele supergroup. I wonder what kind of intro they'll do. They're called The Rebukes. It is something interesting seeing an old film in the cinematic way. Like properly projected, you mean? Yeah, I thought that when I saw Pulp Fiction on the big screen, I thought that was a really interesting experience and to see it projected. Especially with with someone like Buster Keaton who everything was about the frame and physical comedy. That would be quite cool. Yeah, so I think that's interesting. So do check it out if you're in the Oxford area. There we go. They're not paying us for that, listeners. That's just FYI if you're in the Oxford area. So go check it out. Check out the website uppcinema.com. Thanks so much to everyone who's got in touch. We love hearing from you guys. It's really great. Yeah. Uh, Exactly what we wanted. So do keep them coming. And if you've ever thought of emailing and and you think, what is that email address that I should email in? What's that Twitter address I should tweet? It is <laughs> at SuperBaileyBros and SuperBaileyBros at gmail.com. And you know what? And We love the short emails, possibly even more than the long ones. Actually, now I say that, I don't think that's true. That's not true. We always read out the super long ones. I know, so. but the thing is, it's much easier and nicer reading out lots of short emails than lots of long emails. But we love the long ones. What Big or small, we my, love them all. Big or small, we love them all. <laughs> but my main point is, if all you've got is a tiny little thought, comment, question, send that in. That is worth saying. So do get in touch. And I'm talking to you, you listener, who's <laughs> listening right now. I want to hear from you. It's stuff. That's I, creepy, isn't it? I don't want it to be creepy. I want it to be nice. A little bit creepy. I want to hear from you. I'm the man on the moon alone. And that is the end of emails. <laughs> is that your song? Am I going to open it and you close it? La 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 la. <laughs> How would you describe a gangster film? A uh, gangster film is American, I'd say, generally. I'm quite enjoying this because do you know what the question was I asked you? How would I describe a gangster film? How would I? How would you describe a gangster Phil? Oh, okay. but you can describe a gangster film as much as you like. <laughs> That's never happened to me before. <laughs> <laughs> hasn't happened more. No. In this <laughs> um, how would I describe a gangster? Oh, suave, cool, uh, kind of that classic 1920s Al Capone, yeah. sort of wearing a suit with a kind of a trilby hat or something like that. Uh, fedora that's kind of what they look like what about their personality their characteristics rough rough trying to trying to make themselves feel sophisticated but actually they're from the streets and a bit rough and ready and a bit vulgar but they want to be classy interesting interesting so for example would this fit the bill Um, really really great guy who's just basically it's just a great guy and actually in most respects he's a great guy not not screaming gangster no (laughs) yeah I saw Live By Night, Ben Affleck's, well, triple threat debut. I don't think he's ever done this in a film before, 
been the screenwriter and the director and the star and Argo? a producer, of course, as well. Did he write Argo? No, he didn't write Argo. He did direct and star in it. What about the the town, the other one that he did? Oh, you know, actually, that is fair enough. And what was the town again? Just remind us quickly. Cause the town was relevant. one I did on uh, what we've been watching. It is about a particular area in uh, Boston area where loads and loads of criminals come from. And it's Ben Affleck's playing kind of a guy who's who does bank robberies. And right. he kind of gets caught in a weird situation where he's dating the person who might be able to rumble him. Right. And is he basically a, kind of a great guy in, in that film? No, he's not a good guy, he but not? he seems like there's some redeeming qualities to him. He's got a bit of honour to him. Really? I wonder whether it's more similar than I thought. Anyway, listeners, weirdly enough, Live By Night is set in the Prohibition era, but it's in Boston and Ben Affleck pays a robber. (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it? So the basic premise of this story is Joe Coughlin, who is Ben Affleck's character, is a guy whose dad, Brendan Gleeson, is a police chief, but he has kind of ploughed his own furrow and decided to basically indulge in petty crime. He's known in the area as someone who does a few hold-ups, stick-ups, robberies, but he stays away from the gang wars that are going on. And in particular, there's a bitter feud going on between the Irish Albert White and his rum cartel. Uh, You know, in Prohibition, that was obviously a big deal. Yeah, yeah. And then Maso Pescatore, the Italian sort of mini-mafia gangster guys. And they're all courting this guy Joe because he knows what he's doing and he's made a bit of a name for himself. They want him to join their organisation. Joe being Ben Affleck. Yeah, that's right. But he always refuses because he likes to stand on his own two feet. And in his own words, I never wanted to be a gangster, man. And he <laughs> Is that the accent he uses? No, and he does it in a Boston voice, which I just can't do. I won't even try to do. <laughs> uh, he is really quite bowled over when he meets Sienna Miller's character, Emma Gold. And she is essentially one of Albert White's mistresses. And he worms his way into the social graces of Albert White's crew, even though he doesn't join their organisation. And when Albert White goes out of town, he hangs out with Sienna Miller. And, you know, they get up to no good together. And they like to chat and whisper sweet nothings to each other. And in particular, they like to sort of have dreams together about what their life could be like. <laughs> oh, they not I thought you were like, <laughs> suddenly there's an Inception subplot. No, <laughs> no, 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 that would be quite good, it'd be better. Uh, but yeah, dreams about what their life could be like were they away from this all and were she not attached to Albert White. So let's have a clip, which is some of that scintillating dialogue between Sienna Miller and Ben Affleck talking about what they just might be able to do. We could leave. Where would we go? Somewhere warm. My brother Danny was in California. God, I go to California. I don't know much about honest work, I gotta tell you. Well, who said anything about honest work? Good. Oh, we do what we wanna do. We go where we wanna go. Sleep by day. I got a job in Lawrence on Saturday. Then I'll be free. Free to leave? Yeah, free to leave. Oh, there's, there's little Sienna <laughs> Miller. Do you know, I think that's a pretty good job by Sienna Miller. You know, she's I know, I'm making fun, very but... cut glass voice, but I think she she does all right as a kind of Irish immigrant to America. And yeah. you would know being married to an Irish lady. She, well, yeah, but not from the South, Phil. Oh, see, I didn't even know about that. Did you stuff. not? Could you well, not tell? I know about Southern Ireland and all that. <laughs> yes, actually, yeah, let's not do this. <laughs> so is Ben Affleck, is his character sort of like a rich boy who's trying to play gangster? Like his dad's the police chief and gets him off or something? Sorry, no, I know why you ask based on what I said. No, that's not the case. The police chief, he's just a normal guy and Brendan Gleeson is not approving of Ben Affleck's chosen lifestyle. He's not wealthy. Ben Affleck is making his own way and being rich on his own terms. And are they in conflict or is it yeah, um, cool. it's yeah, kind they of do. Un- they ha- unsaid? They have steely meetings where they chat to each other. And I don't think it's a spoiler to say... Oh, steely criminal, <laughs> yeah. 
Very good. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Ben Affleck is involved in a bank job that goes wrong and he gets caught by various people, including his father. And for various reasons, he has to leave where he is. And that sets up a sort of desperately wannabe uh, period epic where Ben Affleck uh, goes out to Tampa in Florida, where he is tasked with running a successful rum smuggling operation for Maso Pescatore. So he decides to work with the Italians because Albert White sort of lets him down. And that's it. Then he goes over there, starts up the rum operation. And the whole film is about the progress that he makes, the deals that he does, the relationships that he forms. And, you know, the sort of which way is this guy going to go? Which way is his moral compass going to turn? Is he able to be just a great guy at the bottom of it all? Or is he going to succumb to the dark side of gangsterism? It does seem to ring quite a lot of bells for the town. Does yeah. it really? You think, it does sound similar to Not you. necessarily in terms of plot or anything like that, but in terms of similar sort of touching on similar ideas and themes of can you can you change your... Your past, can you... You change free- the stars, Phil. Yeah, exactly. That's, uh, what's that from A Knight's Tale? Yeah. Did you change your stars? <laughs> you just need to follow your feet. Follow your feet. <laughs> I love that guy. Sidetrack, sidetrack, sidetrack. to anybody. Uh, he's brilliant in that. We, look, look, unfortunately, Phil, I'm not going to spend too long on this film because I think it's just bad. I'm really disappointed. I thought a lot more would come from Ben Affleck. Algo showcased him as a talent. Even the town had redeeming features, right? You I mean, he's had it. a bit of a hit list when it comes to films which he's been involved with behind the camera. Yeah. I mean, Gone Baby Gone was quite well received. The town was quite well received. Argo was very well received. Well, and Goodwill Hunting, of course, the thing that started course, it all. Of course, of course, of course. And so I, I just expected a little bit more. The major problem I have is that it's directed so aimlessly. This film has no urgency whatsoever, even though the entire focus is on people like running prohibition alcohol like crime syndicates and being involved in bank robberies and like having to deal with gangsters who might just shoot them at any moment. There's so many underhanded dealings, but there's absolutely no excitement whatsoever. Really? It's not... It's, what sort of tone is the film going for? Well, what it ends up being is sort of a weird kind of journey through history film. It's almost like you're seeing the 1920s from the viewpoint of this guy. It's, it's almost, almost like it sort of wants to be Forrest Gump uh, meets The Godfather. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, the- I think what you're hitting on is I think... I've, I, can't, I still can't remember who said this. I think it might be a film critic. He said eventually every single director tries to remake Goodfellas. Do you think that's what it is? And maybe this is Ben Affleck trying to make his own version of Goodfellas. Because Goodfellas has that expansive timeline of a guy wanting to be a gangster, the progression in his sort of organisation and, and all the ch- twists and turns and things like that. And it's, it's over a long period of time. And maybe this is that, that sort of well, cross between Forrest Gump and Maybe that is why it, Ben Godfather. Affleck spends so long having lines that literally say, I don't want to be a gangster. <laughs> like to be the opposite of uh, ever since I can remember. Yeah, yeah. that's funny. I, I think it fails on every level. I thought all the characters were very boring. You know, Sienna Miller, for all her acting chops, I don't care about her character. It's not interesting. Like, it, I don't care about Ben Affleck's character. It's so obvious. It's, it's almost painfully obvious that in every single scene in which he's called upon to do something bad, he's like the idea that he's a good guy underneath it all. It's like, it's just so blatant. It's just tiring. It's thin. annoying and tiring. It's like, I get it. All right. Like, I don't need to see the same arc play itself out in every line of dialogue in every moment that although I'm doing bad things, I'm a good guy. Do that with the film. Yes. Not with every single scene. 
And there's even worse to come, really, with Zoe Saldana's character, who plays the sister of the guy who is currently involved in the rum operations. Ben Affleck goes over there to partner with him. And she's introduced as this, you know, really glam, super desirable woman who's also really tough because she's like a co-partner with her brother. But basically, as soon as Ben Affleck turns up, she's all sass, sass, sass. And then they kiss and then that's it. (laughs) Like then she's just docile. She's his loving wife. It's just like, what, what did you do that for? Like, it's like the guy just can't, as much as I want to say otherwise, it's like the guy can't really write very well. So is this, is, I was just about to ask, is this bad direction or bad writing? Well, it's both. Like I said, there's no urgency to anything. There's no zip and there's no tension. Even that there's a car chase, which doesn't really work. There's a shootout towards the end, which is okay. But because it's been preceded by so much blandness, it's irrelevant. Like the stakes don't really matter that much. I was never on tenderhooks. And they say really stupid things a lot of the time. Like it's... It's just so disappointing. I'm running out of ways to say how disappointing it was. The only thing that was good about it was how much money it's got spent, basically, because the production's amazing. The period costumes and the realisation of Tampa in the 1920s is not something I've seen a lot of, Florida, and it looks stunning. The The quality of the film stock is amazing and the lighting's incredible, even though I think the camera work is very pedestrian. There's no exciting shots. There wasn't any exciting editing but it's still beautiful. So everyone who's not Ben Affleck did a great job, like putting the costumes together. Yeah, that's Am rough. I sounding a bit mean? I really like Ben Affleck, but I don't know what he was doing with this film. Wow, I, I, I kind of I don't know what to say because I'm a fan of Ben Affleck. I like him, and I think he's a talented guy. I'm glad to see that he's managed to sort of pick his career up when it was kind of people were hammering him on, on uh, some of his films that he's done. But this does sound a bit disappointing. It sounds Yeah, really disappointing. I think there are some attempts to do interesting things. And this is where the, the historical epic thing really flies in because he has a run-in with the Ku Klux Klan in the region who are essentially played as just another crime syndicate, but with the veneer in their own of an ideology. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's horrible to see the Ku Klux Klan. And I think everyone in the cinema will love the fact that Ben Affleck hates them and shoots a few of them. But what's annoying is that it's almost tastelessly brought in because... You don't see any sort of progress or any of the important themes brought out about why these guys need to be beaten. You know what I mean? Nothing is there. They're just they're just colour. They're just another character to throw into the mix. Like, why don't we have these guys be the Ku Klux Klan? Let's have that in the film. Mm. You can't and I just don't think you can touch something like that without dealing with the awful Properly, yeah. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And that needs to happen. And then similarly, you get Elle Fanning in this, fresh off the uh, hot off the heels of the Neon Demon, where she plays a s- s- incredibly intense role. And here she plays a daughter of a police chief who goes off to California to be an actress. She doesn't become an actress, she becomes something else. Uh, and then towards the end of the film, she has this weird reversal where she becomes a preacher uh, against gambling and stuff i don't want to spoil anything and there are some really odd sequences with her which are almost played for laughs and sadness as well and there are so many elements thrown into the film that just don't work either they're not given enough time or they're given the wrong attention i mean even usually talking to them they seem very unlinked things that are just kind of there and they don't feel like they're tied together with anything else i think you know it's based on a book and i suspect the book does this a lot more successfully It's by Dennis Lehane, and I can see how all of these things were interesting sort of diversions in a grand historical epic. Ben Affleck has made a mistake in trying to replicate it on film. And I think right at the core of it is just him. It's too focused on him, and his character is too great of a guy for the role that he's supposed to be playing. So is that the the core thing? Is that the thing, if you could 
go back in time and change one thing about this film, you'd say Ben Affleck needs to be a more complex character. He's just got to be nastier. Like his job, even though he keeps saying, I don't want to be a gangster, he's still robbing people and sticking people up. He should be a nasty guy. You can't keep your code and also do this job. Yeah, and like the loving looks that Zoe Saldana gives him and thinks he's just amazing when like he's a gangster, he's a crook. Like I just... There's no complexity, there's no depth, nothing like that. And the fine, the thing, the sentence I found myself summing it up with, and this is very mean-spirited, Phil, so prepare yourself. The <laughs> only note I've made on my notepad, I'm showing it to Phil, is uh, famous people have a lot of money and a lot of friends. Laurie. <laughs> 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 That's exactly how I felt. Like Leonardo DiCaprio is a producer. Pan Affleck has basically bankrolled this thing with his reputation and his fortune. I just, who cares, Ben? Sorry. That is a brutal, scathing little thing. Gives a C minus for me, man. C minus is really so, low. It, and because it's disappointing, if it was just sort of inoffensive and a bit dull, that'd be okay. But it is disappointing because it should be better. So I think that's why it gets the C minus. Any bonuses? No bonuses, Phil. Just an apology, really. And I, like, I, I really feel like I'm being too hard. It is, it's chucklesome in places. It's just disappointing. Live by night, more like die by night. Right. <laughs> why? Exactly. Because it didn't do well. It's rubbish died. <laughs> well there we go man that was a long old episode ah, yes it was it's actually quite late listeners that we're finishing recording this week so we've gone on for a long time just for various boring reasons one of them i was in london right yeah guess oh, what i saw so boring i, was I, in, I walked I was past in nick, london no, 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 meeting a celebrity i saw <laughs> i saw nick frost didn't recognize him asked him for how directions did you, how did you know you saw him then because after i did a double take after oh I went right around, oh convenient. and i was like hang on hang on hang on i'm doing a double take right now he's got a big beard it's quite hard to recognize but yeah that's why it was late <laughs> not really listeners thank you so much uh, for listening do tell us your thoughts on jackie manchester by the sea the bye-bye man and live by night we'd love to hear your thoughts give us all plus ones and minus ones benedict included of course now he's our horror correspondent i think he's coming back next week isn't he yeah i think he said he's got a film in the bag already he's seen split which i don't know whether it's technically a horror but maybe i think it's horror horror-esque elements. i don't not sure it's, it's something i particularly keen to see not because okay. i don't think it looks good but because it looks a bit scary <laughs> m night Shyamalan is back jay's mcavoy yeah that's right benedict will return next week and we'll see a bunch of other stuff as well yes thanks so much for listening guys it's been great this has been the super baby bros and we're out of here <laughs> thanks for coping while you're not feeling so good phil i, I it's, it's made me forget about my whiz, misery and woes I feel more cheerful the longer we've gone on. Isn't that weird? <laughs> that Maybe we're getting delirious. Maybe it's the fact we had a little break in the middle of the night yeah. Chinese food. Oh, that really helps. Okay, bye listeners. Have bye a bye. great week. Bye. Laurie, do you, have you ever been on a bus? Of course I have, yeah. Have you ever had to hold the same handle rail as somebody else on well, a bus? At the same time, you mean? Yes. Yes, I have. That's an awkward situation. It is an awkward situation because you end up having a sort of mini battle. Have you ever done that where you're sort of vying for position on the on the same handlebar well, what are you after are you after the top or the bottom well i don't know but i have had a couple of awkward interactions where i've staunchly defended my position where one time i was on a bus and there was two two like, like a couple like who were making out while i was on oh, the thing no. and I, I there was nowhere else to hold and i thought this is outrageous i i need to hold on to this or i'm gonna be be hurt so i'm gonna hold on to this and they just carried on. They were just not deterred at all. Despite my fact, my fist was right next to their face as they were like canoodling or whatever. Oh and this made me think, there's loads and loads of these little battles with strangers, these feuds with strangers. That's true. That and is really true. I've got one carrying on presently and I don't really know what to do about it. It's, um, it's one, of the, one of the nice people at, uh, well, I don't want to say their name, so I'll say Tate Rose. Right. Okay. Yes. No, I understand. <laughs> well done.
So at Tate Woes, there's a, a very nice shopkeeper man who's not very nice. He's really annoying because every single time I take my, my stuff to buy it and everything like that, he always makes a comment on what I'm buying. Does he really? Yeah, That's like the golden rule that you don't do if you're a shop assistant person. And he's like, oh, you need a lot of chicken today or something. And oh, it's like, no. just leave me alone. And so that, I, That's a quite a nice thing to say. It's, that's the thing. It's kind of bizarre. I just He's kind of being nice. But at the same time, <laughs> I'm like, leave me alone, you stranger. You just like a curl that ball of rage all And the thing is, it's a very weird feud because he doesn't even know he's in it but oh, i know i'm in it with him chap. and i'm just kind of like go on then say something about this one go I on that try sounds really friendly this is funny phil because this is one of the things in life where we realize that you and i are sort of exact opposites in some ways in more ways than we might realize because i'm i'm the other way around i go and chat to them i, like, I make <laughs> i make a comment about what i'm buying and then I, I try and get a little laugh out of them and in my head when i turn away with a smile on my face thinks <laughs> i hope you have a great weekend i'm thinking i just brighten their day <laughs> that awful? I bet you some of them are infused with you. Like, oh, who is that guy? Oh, I don't want him. Don't come here. Don't come here. <laughs> exactly. Well, there you go, Phil. What, what did you do? Like, I, I've not had this bus situation quite in the way that you're doing. And the only way I can imagine you making progress is literally using your fist to sort of push someone's hand off it. And that is too far, Phil. Let me say that's too far. You, you, you do kind of micro adjustments and uh, you lift up but then your you're, hands. then you're disobeying the no touching in public rule. <laughs> but then they're don't disobeying with me. Keep the no, little I'm not of part space. of this relationship. I don't want to be involved. <laughs> Another great one, which I was part of, but I wasn't involved in directly, was at a gig with my, my friend, uh, Jacob. And he, he's quite a tall man. And he, he just taught me this weird technique where, you know, at gigs, everyone's jostling for oh, position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the key to that is that before the gig starts, you just very slowly angle your body until eventually your shoulders slightly in front of theirs and then you overlap and you gradually <laughs> you gradually just squeeze them out <laughs> have you seen this work yeah he did it over a course of about 15 minutes he just sort of gradually moved his body and just sort of wiggled it very slowly so you can't say oh you're moving hey back off and you they can't resist you because you're not even moving it's like a snail's fight that sounds like a very refined technique <laughs> if he's a tall man what's he doing pushing to the front phil that's I what i think, say to your i don't friend. think it was but he was pushing to the front he was just vying for his position i see i see feud with strangers man this this happens daily i spent i bet you listeners have got a lot of these i kind of like to hear some of them no i think i don't think i have any phil i think i'm the person he was feuded with <laughs> i wouldn't surprise me oh. would not surprise me at all okay i'll say that so i look clever <laughs> this is how it works Phil, what, what would you describe the characteristics? What would you describe as the... <laughs> <laughs> we just I should like to meet this watch. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> okay. 